Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. In today's episode, we're concluding our discussion of politics by answering the question we received about how an identity president would rule. The answer may dissatisfy you. (laughs) You know how they say the answer may surprise you. It may also surprise you, but um, it will inform you as well and make a lot of sense, I think. We received another question also about how each of the hoods, personhood, sagehood, and sainthood uh, prepare us for death. And boy, did that conversation lead to some really rich places. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Also, on October 8th this year, that's 2022, there will be a clubhouse event with Brie Baron, that's Stace's wife, along with Gertrude Wunschmann and Eric Grace. You can find info on all of that by going onto the clubhouse app and searching for the Holy, that's with a W-H, Holy Human Club, to find my soul brother Eric Grace there. And uh, there's also a October 23 uh, open door day where Stace will be doing individual reads and support for people. Uh, you'll need to contact Eric about that, but you can find him uh, on Clubhouse. And uh, the first one on October 8th, uh, that's the subject of that, is going to be uh, personhood EBE facilitation. Uh, again, that's uh, with Stace's wife, Bree, with uh, Gertrude Wunschmann and Eric Grace, who are all actively facilitating people in the personhood aspect of identity. I remind you, as always, to please listen to this podcast from the beginning and in order. And thanks so much for listening. Welcome forward, listeners, and thank you, Stace Barron. Here we are again, relentlessly mm-hmm. moving forward into... We've been talking about politics, and we didn't finish the uh, one of the questions completely, anyway, last time about um, the... If I were president, that's the... <laughs> the phrase many children have, you know, beginning, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, when we start to have individual agency, if I ran the zoo, if we ran the world. Uh, so we're going to talk yes. about that. And uh, also, um, perhaps we'll get to, there was a question that we fielded, I believe from uh, Eric's Clubhouse people, uh, about um, how each hood, or how identity was the question, prepares us for dying. And we're going to break that down by hood. So... If identity were president, is that the question? <laughs> it's not about you or me or anyone, but if the, if the president well, came from identity, identity paradigm, what would that look like? Um, the system would have to completely change for an Edenist to ever be interested in the presidency. In its present form, it's, it would be impossible. And I'd like to detail why. And I'd like to try to aim, um, if you're Mr. Producer Man, uh, <laughs> to uh, kind of segue me out of this uh, topic by, in about 20 minutes. Because okay. the, other, the other one is a lot more vital. We're just going to touch some high, high points on this topic. Yeah. Um, the problem with the system is that, um, first and foremost, uh, there's no... Um, rubric or um or a standard for a mode of maturity in our world anywhere anywhere and without that there's no way to emotionally heal people out of either fixations in emotive um teenage uh uh, phases 
and fixated in the emotive childhood phases. Identity looks out on the world and sees the vast majority of, of the population of Earth are either fixated in teenage leadership uh, 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 visions as adults or childlike follower um, uh, uh, um, fixations in the general electorate. This is no criticism of either. We all have to go through our emotively uh, fixated childhoods and, um, and uh, teenager stages uh, to ever get to adulthood, emotional adulthood, which is the um, another name for emotional maturity. And since there's no rubric or standard on how to move from teenage phases to adult phases, the system now is so hopelessly flawed in just about every dimension that there's no way an emotively mature um, soul would be attracted to it. Uh, the current system is both strategical and tactical. Um, mm -hmm. And that's exactly what um, teenagers uh, do. Um, most most of the of the elected officials on this planet are drawn to uh, serve that way because they're wanting to still be um, uh, president of the senior class in high school. <laughs> uh, um, and this is this is this is brutal and heartful. I'd like to hope I hope I hope this comes across that way because without as a species without a, a standard for a mode of maturity, the best we can do emoto spiritually is fixated late teen or, or or very early adult phases of emotional maturity. And those create those two fixated states, those fixated states completely determine the, uh, they, they have algorithmic lenses through which we experience life that completely um, are completely uh, um, uh, parameterized by teenage fixation issues. Yeah. And if we uh, frame the, the, the teenage mentality, which is basically how do I get what I want by finding loopholes in the rules? And how do I uh, minimize, maximize personal gain and minimize personal responsibility and having to face the consequences of my actions, that that's actually a completely reasonable phase of development yes. related to boundaries and how one relates to life. But if we see that as a phase of development yes. where it's like, what can I get away with, the teenager asks. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that that's an important paradigm or framework to dead end on the way to maturity. But we don't yes. have that frame because the most mature people, for the most part in the world, stop right there at like 19 yes. and stay yes. there for the rest of our lives. So we don't even have a reference point for what's after that. Exactly right. And imagine what that's been like uh, or what is that is like for an Edenist, if I can use that term, mm -hmm. um, because we, here we sit, uh, we, we've been helped to go inward inward so deeply and with an emotive algorithm uh, we get past these stuck fixation phases and yet we're still residents heartful soulful residents of a world where basically it's either late teen fixational emotional immaturity or childlike yeah. um, and so and there's compassion and understanding in that and there is when when teenage fixated leaders um, don't have critical thinking about their own lenses of experience, um, they're going to make a mess of things. And it's exactly that mess we see. And there's no solution to it uh, in the present system. Uh, because 
it's about power it's about power tactics and strategies getting what they can get when they can get it with with minimum risk and maximum benefit right yeah. uh look at all of our elected leaders well in all the countries in the world how many of them uh, the leaders of countries and of governments how, how many are introspective and self-aware of the parameters of selfhood consciousness mm -hmm. i mean this this is crazy they're just not it's like um animal farm um you know <laughs> the uh, the uh, the world is run by emotionally fixated um teenagers uh and uh and and the electorate is mostly are not drawn to leadership because they're still working through their early phases of, of, of childhood fixation. And then the followers who are also teenagers, the pigs, I believe it was in Orwell's yes. animal farm are like, well, this is oppressive. We can do it better. And then they become uh, yeah. what the, the farmers were to begin with. Uh, I always think of the, the, uh, uh, is it in Barbara O'Reilly? Was that the who song? Oh, Here comes the new boss. Same as the old boss. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember an anecdote. I, I wish I knew who said this. I can't a, uh, give attribution, but um, someone once said something like, "If the devil ever had uh, ever uh, was able to dethrone God and become the boss, they'd have to become like God." Uh, <laughs> and, and so it's a really interesting question here. What, how, would there, would a mature and emotively mature grown up? be drawn to the system as it is it, it can't be fixed from the inside it can't be because even the way they set up for example the american government um, is so hopelessly flawed with legal bribery of, yeah. of le legislative uh, and um, supreme court and ex ex all three branches allow legal bribery uh, for special interests to um, uh, to uh, buy their way to what the public policy that they want, right? And by the way, um, you can't have an a discussion about politics without uh, including corporations. Um, a corporation is exactly a mirror fractal of the population of Earth run by emotionally immature teenagers. And basically the employees are emotionally fixated uh, tweens or children. Yeah. And so uh, in, when the, um, when the uh, corporate uh, manifesto in the early 70s switched from customer service and product integrity to pleasing shareholders yes uh, with along with corporate selfhood involved exactly right exactly because <laughs> in order for the corporation to have those level of interests met it has to exist somehow in a non-made-up way it has to have an essential reality which it doesn't <laughs> It's beyond it's beyond comprehension. Yeah. The, these kinds of uh, uh, of laws, the move from customer service and product integrity um, to shareholder pleasing, uh, describes all of the major corporations uh, on the planet today, which is why there's so much abuse, corporate abuse. Um, so the the uh, governmental structural inhabitants reflect corporate structural inhabitants, which is why they're in bed together so deeply. So that whole system would have to change, uh, and, uh, and specifically in this way, um, you would uh, there would be no one eligible for either executive, uh, um, legislative, or judicial um, placements without emotional maturity vetting. Uh, uh, someone made a beautiful uh, metaphor. I wish I could remember it. That. Um, 
in some ways an, uh, a, um, a uh, secret service person is vetted 10 times more deeply than the president of the United States. Well, it, I think about this all the time. There's so many laws and amendments and whatnot. And it, what it remains to be is to be president. All you have to be is a citizen and over 35 years old. There's not yes. even a maximum age, you know. No. Since, <laughs> it's since, harder to get that, a driver's license. That's right. <laughs> uh, exactly right. I mean, the, bless their hearts, the deists, not the Christians, the deists, who constructed uh, the United States Constitution, this was a pre-psychological era. Yes. They, they, they assumed that uh, in the um, Renaissance-based kind of uh, um, uh, uh, um, integrity of selfhood, that, that uh, a person like the president before now, um, it would be unelectable. Um, but yeah. here, he's a perfect example of the glaring hole in the Constitution that has such minimum requirements for the most important top job in in the country, yeah. So um, the whole system would have to be revamped. Well, they and, were uh, they were just they, all they were clear about is we got to get rid of rid of the system of monarchy, yes. rather than how what's the consciousness of monarchy, yes, <laughs> and where does that come from the greed and the power and the corruption because sure. that's actually what has to be omitted from leadership. But they, oh. being pre-psychological, what are they going to do? How are they going to do that? Exactly right. But this one, just this one element we just mentioned, um, the, uh, that they'd all have to be um, uh, uh, emotively, maturely vetted. Mm -hmm. Every member of Congress, every Supreme Court nominee, and every presidential executive branch person in uh, any sort of leadership would have to be vetted em emotively, which means a they are ca they are capable of critical thinking. That is, they have room to question their own belief system. Imagine uh, trying to get uh, uh, Trump vetted in using that. Uh, that alone, it would have to, of course, be far more sophisticated than that. But that alone would be a sea change yes. for us. But yes. then who would do that and what electorate would go along with it? Exactly right. In, in other words, um, the whole system is so flawed in every dimension. It had all, all uh, an, and I've, I've been urged by um, in my earlier life, I think I mentioned in another podcast, by friends to run for Congress because uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I do have this natural leader thing going on. Uh, thank God I never was seduced by that. But the, uh, the system that would never draw on a motively mature person. So an Edenist would have no interest in, um, in, in a leadership position in the current system. It's too flawed in too, direction, too many directions, and there's not enough um, power structure in a, a president, for example, to change the system. He's the president, she or he is a victim of the system just as much as anyone else. But, but identity does have a few suggestions. Uh -huh. uh, and I'd like to talk about those to close this off. Uh, mm -hmm. if, you, if, the, if anyone listening has been shocked by that em emotively teen fixated and uh, emotively childlike fixated um, diagnosis of the human of the, of the human consciousness on the planet Earth in the majority, I just offer as the only um, prosecution rests with just look at the state of the world. Yeah. Um, uh, and so you can uh, you can think that we're trying to be superior with this, but we're not we're, it's a tragedy that uh, uh, three three days out of seven, I cry about the state of the world three days of, uh, out of seven. I, um, I'm outraged by it. And one day I'm both.
Um, yeah. So uh, this is a terrible. Um, there's no elitism and there's no um, uh, betterness uh, um, holding over. We've got the answer and no one else does. We just have an answer that no one else does. The answer, all we can say is our answer. If you try it, if you test it, if you explore it, if you investigate it, you will see it goes farther and deeper, expansively and depthfully than other paradigms about self-maturity. I keep thinking about Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, where the the heroes who are, you know, critical thinkers, for sure, um, mm -hmm. Hank Reardon and the copper mine guy and uh, and Dagny and all these people, they, they see how the government is just making things worse and how impenetrable it is. And the uh, Dagny wants to try to fix it from the inside. And uh, John Galt's people are, are trying to uh, show her like, no, you just got to walk away and let it all burn down. And they start their own community. It's that yeah. identity, I think, would sort of smile upon that in some ways, wouldn't it? In, in... Well, um, the, the internal algorithms that would run such a community, identity would smile at. But, it, but the external requirement that it split itself from humanity at large would not be, would not uh -huh. be supported. Uh -huh. You see, in the same breath, we would say, I would say, um, you can't change the system from within. Um, you also can't become um, uh, a, um, a self-exile and create your own world inside that world. Uh, the whole point of this in the long run is is unity, not necessarily one a global kind of um, leadership uh, as the red states, uh, the red side of the uh, rainbow here um, is afraid as uh, the, the, the blue side wants. Uh, country sovereignty and an identity's view would always be um, uh, reasonable and appropriate, not one global uh, king of the world or queen of the world. Yeah. So, um, but here's a couple of suggestions. Um, there'll be an article, I'd just like to alert listeners. Um, there'll be an article uh, on a little deeper um, dive into uh, politics and and, um, uh, and and identity's view of it um, uh, is an article on our website soon, uh, cool. like some other articles that are there. But just as a little teaser here, mm -hmm. uh, identity would offer a completely different structure. Um, and it, uh, and bear with me for a moment. This will take about eight minutes, I think. Okay. I think that'll, that'll keep us in. Okay. Uh, uh, there is something, despite the uh, racist um, colonialism of Britain uh, and its superiority in thinking it's king of the world and tried to make itself king of the world, saying that it was, you know, um, uh, trying to help developing nations by building roads and infrastructure when all they wanted to do was exploit uh, the resources for themselves yeah. and racist on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. The fact that the queen has passed is a wonderful moment here be, uh, where I, w I wish it won't happen. Uh, the Brits uh, too want their mommy and daddies uh, uh, as the king and queen. As They're evidenced not... by how much mourning there is and sorrow oh, and sadness about it. Oh my God! Uh, I mean, I can't speak to the character of uh, the the, uh, the the queen, but all I can speak to is the character of um, what what's wrong with this picture? Mm. Her Majesty, <laughs> her Highness, her Grace. I'm supposed to 
our lowness yes opposed right. to our our dir- uh, um, dirtiness of majesty his majesty your majesty what what is that Th- these people have royal blood what does that mean it's a fiction uh, royal blood has been incestuized over the centuries a lot too um and so there's not this it's a it, just like identity says there's no such thing as race except the human race there's no such thing as royal blood yeah there's if anything no- the royal blood is a liability because of the inbreeding not a positive <laughs> <laughs> i hate to say it that way but that's a better way to say it yeah. so but but um there is something to it uh um and identity would would reframe it completely in this way uh it would be um uh, uh a president and a vice president the president would would be would be like quote unquote the king or uh, queen or king equivalent not not in a king and queen a president and a vice president but the president um would be um the person with a very different skill set than the vice president. The president would be mediator, unifier, vision uh, giver, um, statesperson. Um, uh, this, this, the, the, um, uh, the president would be involved with all the relationships with other nations in the world, would have a global kind of uh, resume, a CV, uh, to be able to do that. Uh, think um, um, uh, secretary general of the United Nations type person. Mm-hmm. That would be the president. Uh, The vice president would be equivalent to and some not equivalent to, but resonant with the um, the prime minister of Britain. Uh, And that would be that that person would have a completely different skill set of of how how, having to run both the um, the uh, uh, um, executive branches and the legislative branches. In other words, the vice president sits now in, um, in as a Senate tiebreaker. Right. Uh, the vice president would be uh, the tiebreaker in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And there'd still be majority leaders and uh, minor uh, alternative leaders in, in the two parties. But um, since the uh, president and the vice president, since the vice president and president would be have a worldview that's both fiscally conservative and uh, and socially progressive, they couldn't be Democrats or Republicans. Uh, they'd have to be something else, another animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but the um, the vice president would be in charge of the executive branch below the presidency, below the, uh, the, the first tier that the president, of course, would have his own staff or her staff. Um, but uh, all these other kinds of things, the vice president would get a real job, would get a real job. Yeah. Uh, and so um, be tiebreaker for both the Senate and the House of Representatives. And the president, though, would have more um, ju- uh, more authoritative power and would be responsible for SCOTUS, for the judicial. In other words, this statesman-like person who could think in many dimensions at the same time, care, service to humanity, statesperson, would, have, um, over- would oversee the Supreme Court. And, of course, the Supreme Court would be stripped of lifelong appointments. That is for sure. Beyond beyond a doubt um, they would have they would be appointed by the president and so of course with the chief justice is what is 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 um, is now by the president yeah. but the president would take responsibility for the nature of the Supreme Court makeup uh, he'd be the boss he's not the boss of them now they they actually even though Roberts the chief justice 
technically is appointed by the president, the president has no authority over them. They are where they were hoped by the framers of the Constitution that they don't need overseeing because they'd be overseeing because they'd be so separately um, uh, uh, judicially blind, you know, like the like justice is blind. Yes, justice is blind, and they would have they would so objective. They would critical thinking is off the charts. They wouldn't need any kind of oversight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you've got Supreme Court justices openly Christian and openly militantly Christian, this isn't, would be impossible in identity's view of America's uh, power structure. Yeah. So all of these kinds of elements, uh, uh, of course, the issue of um, freedom from religion and freedom for religion, both would be enforced. You could not get vetted for any part of any role in any of the three, uh, judicial, um, executive or judicial, um, if you were a militant religionist, it would be impossible. Um, this is there, the, the militant religionists in this country want a, um, uh, uh, a, a doctrinal uh, theocracy, just as much as the caliphate, uh, the Arabs want a caliphate, worldwide caliphate. Uh, you, this, this would never pass the vetting and emotional maturity because Christianity is, bless its heart, it's it's a it's a young soul religion, and uh, when they get older and then think that their their religion is the true truth and no doubts about it, no critical thinking about their religion, there's no way a militant um, uh, uh, employee or or justice would ever be vetted uh, in this new system. So these are just a couple of the things. No more, no bribery. Um, all all uh, there'd be enough taxation to pay for, obviously, universal health care. Uh, there'd be there's so much wasted on so much crap in this country, and everybody knows it. And there's no way to change it. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so uh, uh, there'd be no way to bribe. There'd be enough taxes collected uh, to pay all the government employees the same amount uh, within gradations within each branch. Um, but you couldn't take, uh, you could not take uh, money from corporations to bribe your way uh, through your electorate. So that's in a nutshell. That's as best I can do. So the answer is a definitive no way, Jose. And I mean that in respect to the, the Latin community. Uh, <laughs> uh, truly, I do. Um, uh, there's no such thing as race and identity. Uh, so uh, except the human race. Mm-hmm. So that's that's our take on it. So the answer is a definitive no not in the present system, and a system such as the one identity would suggest is several, maybe dozens of generations away. Well, it's sort of like, you know, a group is always an expression of its individuals, and in the same way you can't help, cannot help an individual until they dead end whatever paradigm they're running and hit up some kind of bottom and ask for help. You can't do this, you can't do it with a group either, and the government is a group of people who've not yet dead-ended and are not asking for help. They're very right. much still invested in what they're doing. So what do you, there's nothing you can do about it right. until, until they hit bottom. Yes. And, and in, this, in that way, a lovely metaphor there, a nice reminder of that, Joseph, the system has to dead-end. Yeah. And, and that's the collapse that everyone's fearing of, the apocalypse and the Christian the- theocratic nonsense. Um, the system has to crash. And can the system crash without us getting thrown back to the Stone Age? That's the only question identity wonders about. Yeah. Divine being is unfolding through the human race, and uh, it's going from, from, uh, 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 from the inside out. 
and eventually all the lies and the misinformation now the misinformation people are calling the real information misinformation yes so it's a complete semantic uh, epistemic disaster uh, about information uh, at the moment so nothing can be trusted um, the whole system has to crash but what how what would that look like and how do we how we rebuild the identity doesn't have a clue but knows what it would do if it ever had the chance yeah yeah Okay, well, I wish there were a more satisfying answer in one way, but uh, that's just it. I mean, it's the same like with an individual. How do you, yeah. you can't know how you would help someone until somebody dead ends their paradigm and dead ends their behaviors. So, and if in that moment, have, it becomes clear very often, right? They, so, they'd have to um, they'd have to have curiosity about their their worldview, yeah. and uh, and their state of self and how their state of self's emotive maturity warps reality in the direction of their unhealed wounds yeah. right so i just thought of a segue though to the next topic we nice. were just talking about the death of the system ah uh, right the collapse of the system and the lovely question that i think you're right came out of a clubhouse thing um how, how does um how do the three hoods personhood sagehood and sanehood prepare a person for death and the answer interestingly enough Bree and i just had a good laugh about it uh you know what her first reaction when she said, what was one of your topics today? And I said that one. She said, oh, you mean how to prepare for life? <laughs> and, and I laughed and laughed. And of course, uh, it's this exactly the same thing. The three hoods prepare us for life and deaths is death is part of life. Yes. So it, it actually is, it helps prepare us for both. Yeah, because of course we have this idea, so the same way we think strengths and weaknesses are opposite, which they're not. We think of life and death as being opposite, which they're not. Yeah. And, and to, have, to have a paradigm, and some, many people who get, get called and um, uh, call or, or get drawn to the paradigm, and some of them that, that, get, that get work with Brie in the personhood uh, domain, um, uh, they still don't get that... Um, uh, emotive primacy is the bottom line here that that we're emotional beings before we're mental willful beings mental beings and physical beings and they're very surprised um by the fact that uh, uh that they, they don't realize how much that is the linchpin and the ramifications of that for their work hmm. so how do we, how does it prepare us we'll, we'll start with death and then sort of reflect how it's also the same for life in different words here Mm -hmm. Personhood, of course, is about um, emotive authentication. It's not about self-actualization. Um, uh, Maslow's uh, array was great to get uh, the whole system started, but it, it hit its dead end um, in the 70s and 80s because it can be the, the hierarchy of needs. Where is the clarifier for what's an emotively healthy need versus an emotively unhealthy need there's no there's nothing in uh, in that uh, uh, no standard of that only hierarchy of needs and then you're self-actualized mm -hmm. a self-actualized person let's say they completely fit, fill up, fill uh, maslow's requirements would still be rabidly emotively immature in identity's uh, paradigm so our identity offers not self-actualization um, uh, which is in behavior thought and uh, expression uh, it's about emotive self-authentication, not self-real. Um, 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 I just, Maslow's is self, what did I just say? Self-actualization versus self -actualization, emotive, emotive, emotive authentication. 
and we're self-authentication. Uh, in other words, our picture of thing in personhood is that um, uh, we're all misconditioned, malconditioned by our families and our society because there's never been such a thing as emotively mature parenting in our whole history. Uh, there are techniques, there are theories. Uh, here's how to be a good parent. Here's how to behave like a good parent. Here's how to think like a good parent. But here's not, there's never been a criteria for here's how to be an emotively mature parent. Because of, um, by the time we are old enough biologically to have children, we've lost completely the difference between how children process reality and adults process reality. We are all malconditioned to process uh, our um, uh, reality through um, our, our physical body or our mental body uh, and our willful body. That's how we process. Those are the three algorithms that we're taught to how to become an adult and functional in the world. No one has ever realized that the child doesn't can't process uh, phys uh, physically in a way of acting um, out in positive ways to get its needs met, um, uh, except as as contractions, as we'll get to in a moment. Um, it, it, it processes a child processes reality emotively, not not um, uh, uh, um, uh, mentally or and and um, willfully in the sense their their basic will uh, is is operating, but the will is operating. It's when it's when they say feed me, when their will says feed me in whatever domain that is, feed me real emotional um, uh, 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 authenticity, which parents uh, are incapable of, uh, because by the time we all reach um, 2025. 20, we have dead ended and we can't relearn without help how to rebase our whole criteria for being an emotively healthy human being on emotivity, not on thinking correctly, not on will choicing, uh, 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 willful cho choosing uh, alacrity or by physical expressions. So that whole thing, that means that all of us, by the time we get to be adults, me included, Joseph included, Eric, all of us included. We all arrived at the um, the milepost 25, uh, 25 revolutions around the sun or 28 or 30, we'll say 30 max, mm -hmm. given how kids are uh, coddled until they're 30 in many ways yeah. um, um, compared to other generations previous. By the time we reach that, we are thoroughly processing reality um, uh, uh, physically, mentally, or willfully and we have been suppressing our emotive state because if we were processing reality emotively, we would not be functional in our current society. We'd be um, we'd be crazy uh, because there was no holding space for emotive primacy of our of consciousness uh, by any any parenting technique or any parenting um, uh, um, a theory. So again, as we've said so many times, for personhood. Um, Emotively mature parenting to create an emotively mature adult requires that the parenting uh, uh, feels what a child is feeling while they're feeling it and why they're feeling it. No parent um, would qualify as that with even a 30% of the time in, in, in childhood for most children. So that being said, um, how does it prepare us for life? Identity comes back, comes back with the entirely different premise that uh, emotively mature uh, parenting would involve those three um, 
what, while, and why of why a child feels anything. And an emotively mature person then is prepared for life because critical thinking is part of emotively mature parenting, role modeling critical thinking, not over-attachment to um, our belief systems. Um, And a child would unfold naturally. Someone just recently, Joseph, who was so tender and tragic at the same time, uh, asked me, um, uh, uh, I I sent them that picture of children meditating. Oh, yeah. uh, which is, I just wanted to vomit. Um, and uh, and he, this person asked really beautifully, well, if that's not the case and behaviorals aren't uh, uh, restrictions or supports aren't the case, what, what do you tell a earnest parent? And I, I shared that there's only one thing. There's no, it's only one thing. Feel what a child's feeling while they're feeling it and why they're feeling it and everything else will fall into place naturally there's nothing else to do the child's soul will unfold into that extra or or that um, outside um, gestational womb if the parents provide that kind of outer gestational womb that corresponds to the physical internal gestational uterus if they provide that until the child is 18 or 20 um, that child will be ready for the world. It will prepare them for life. And if they're prepared for life, uh, here's the way they're prepared for death. Uh, in, in personhood, there are so many little deaths mm. in personhood dharma, in, uh, uh, in, in identity, where we deconstruct the protective self-inauthentic version of ourselves we had to become become in our families in our society our planetary society uh there's so many little deaths that happen you get so used to shedding and subtracting dead-end ways of uh, aspects and dimensions to your being that mm-hmm. you, you 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 stop fearing physical death in some dimension you just you're so tuned in and reconditioned to unfolding magic Sometimes that unfolding magic, you want to kill yourself, it hurts so much. Yeah. But it's still unfolding magic, and you survive every one of those new unfoldments. That gives you an internal, even if you're not conscious of it, an internal assurance that you will survive the worst kind of identity shifting which are like little deaths to the yeah. identity that you, well, identity, sorry, that you held on to before. That's my cue. I keep thinking of something that happened recently that uh, I keep thinking makes sense to share here. And uh, so um, uh, let me tell the story that happened, I don't know, about a week ago. Oh, how do I tell this story in, in a concise way? Um, my lady and I have been dead-ending a lot of different well, we've been dead ending our uh, a, f- a former version of our relationship, and um, it was getting really difficult. The fighting was becoming more and more frequent and more and more uh, irresolvable, it seemed. And um, the work I've been doing with your wife, Bree, she's been helping me get trying to help me get to the feeling of um, how uh, how my mother made me crazy when I was a kid. Um, by how she made her emotions my responsibility, by not making sense, and all of that sort of was put into me as a kid, and I felt responsible. And so what I realize now looking back on our relationship is what I was dead-ending was trying to control 
the woman I was with, trying to make her make sense, arguing with her, withdrawing from her. Basically, my defenses were trying everything they possibly could, except for one thing that it couldn't do. And that was feel and express, become even, the craziness that I felt when that was happening. Uh, and it finally happened. And I just, I was literally like pulling my hair out, clawing the skin off my face. I was screaming, not particularly loud, but I just became the feeling of how she was, quote, making me feel, but in a way where I was there knowing that was actually how my mother made me feel. And right. my sweetheart was just triggering that up. Yes. And it completely stopped her in her tracks. Uh, and then I went back a moment later to the other stuff and got mad at her again. But it was enough, apparently, to what that did for me was it showed um, by revealing that core wound in me, it showed my defense systems that I can be that, I can let that out. I, it's not going to destroy me. I will survive it. And then I have seemed to have become far less triggerable by my mate because she's no longer a threat to um, uh, revealing that. I revealed it. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. And so the defenses that were getting, were, it was triggering that insanity in me, but my defenses were like, yeah, but we got to keep that hidden. We got to keep that hidden. So push back over here or get away or whatever. But it did feel like a little death. I mean, I really felt in one way yes. that I was going mad. And, yes. um, and was deeply, some part of me, of course, I guess my defenses were deeply afraid of the being um, destroyed, quote unquote, by my mother all over again. Yeah. And since then, things have been radically, radically different. So mm -hmm. like we were talking about before, I was dead ending all the behavioral attitude adjustment, better mm -hmm. communication stuff. None of that was working. <laughs> no, not for an elder soul, no. No, unfortunately. Even though I'm very, very clever, none of it worked. Um, <laughs> but just letting myself feel that, which took like six months of work probably yes. to get to. And yeah. I was thinking about how you would often say that uh, uh, EBE is 90% setup and 10% payoff. It was just literally 10 yes. seconds, 20 seconds yes. that was impossible to do without a lot of help and just the willingness to feel that that core emotion mm -hmm. it sort of magically changes everything even though it's not magic we actually have an explanation for it but it still continues to shock me how much how deep yeah. the impact goes oh your personal story here is so touching joseph um and i know i know you're you're um uh the, the people who listen in on you uh, uh, really get that about you, how precious it is for them to hear you self-reveal this way. But the, the point here that Joseph is making uh, about identity's personhood track is that there's nothing new added to your yeah. repertoire of self-available things to do. Uh, there's no new behaviors added. What is subtracted is what is keeping your authentic self uh, buried. Yeah. 
Yeah. We're subtracting defensive contractions that have an agenda of their own that are still tied to childhood. I don't, it doesn't matter how well adjusted you think you are. The little bit of therapy that most therapists do on themselves, even psychoanalysts, mm -hmm. um, is nothing uh, like what ed identity goes for. So if you're a therapist out there and think that what Joseph just related so heartfully, oh, I'm a Gestalt therapist, we do stuff like that. Um, I if you're a Gestalt therapist, I would say, yeah, there are some similarities there, but it, we have an entirely different dharmic uh, algorithm to process than even Gestaltists do. Uh, Gestaltists don't make uh, so much, uh, so many strictures about is this healthy, is that? They take everything as it is and it's unfolding and then show the client what's productive and what's not productive. And that's way ahead of most other therapy sure. models, right? But so if you're a therapist and think that you already do this kind of things, you don't, unless you can claim your therapy algorithm is that the prime um, uh, uh, dimension, uh, the essential dimension of human consciousness is emotive not not mental not physical not willful uh you you, you you're not not doing what we do uh, and so related people, to that another distinction of yours that i think works really well here is that uh, the difference between improving uh coping mechanisms or yeah. removing coping mechanisms because i was doing all sorts of things that were actually coping with that core wound reason with her, make her make sense, withdraw, get angry, all of those weren't working. Um, well, with the elder soul thing, they, they weren't working because my dis, my soul decided to make sure they wouldn't work this life, apparently, because they do <laughs> work for story. some people, yeah, yeah for, to, for a right. limited uh, way. But Go all ahead. of it was dead ending and left me to drop all of those coping mechanisms. And when I really felt in that moment, like, oh, my God, I'm trapped. Nothing will get through to her. I was just left with the feeling that was underneath all of those coping mechanisms. And even though I understand mentally why it, quote, worked, it's still magic to me how much that just broke open our relatedness in so many ways. Because now there, all of those coping mechanisms, well, at least all of those coping mechanisms are at least operating a whole lot less because the, one of the metaphors I use with people is um, if you want to get a guard at a bank to retire, to go home, you got to get the money out of the bank. <laughs> you got to work them out of a job. They're only there because the money is there. They're guarding the money. So if right. you can show them that you can put all that money in the lobby and nobody will steal it, then they're mm -hmm. going to be like, well, what am I standing around here guarding it for? Oh, nice metaphor. Right? I never, never thought of that, Joseph. That's great. So when you access it and, and are relational with it and you see that this person is my mate, my lover, and not my mother, and the same thing doesn't happen, the guard goes, oh, well, what am I doing all this coping stuff for? That's a lot of work. I'm going to stop. <laughs> so you don't try to stop it. No. You, sh you just show it that it's not needed and it stops itself because that's just exactly. what makes sense. Exactly right. And that's deconstructive, decoping rather than constructive or more coping. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, and to sum everything you just said, EBE personhood um, process is about decompensating. Yeah. Decompensating, not coping compensating. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... We actually, in Joseph's example, is a perfect example of it. I couldn't think of a better one, Joseph. Thank you so I much. Thought it would be uh, useful. Yeah. Yeah, because essentially, people who can't compensate or cope are either on heavy meds or they're um, institutionalized. Yeah. EBE safely 
decompensates people to the point where they don't need to be on uh, uh, heavy drugs or institutionalized, but they are reduced to a crazy state safely in the development of the combination of the, the facilitator, EBE facilitator holding space for the percentage of us that could never be covered over all the way uh, uh, by childhood wounds or societal malconditionings. That's our soulful, emoto-soulful um, being. Um, by making it connect with uh, the moto-soulful being of the facilitator with the emoto-soulful being of, of, of a facilitant uh, or an insolent, as we call them now. Um, insolent? That's insolent. new to me. Wow, that's yeah, a bold word. Um, cool. Insolent. Uh, uh, th then by that is an eduction or an educing of the um, the soulful aspect of the um, of the, the insolent forward enough at some, where at some point they can survive going crazy without needing a Thorazine stat or yeah. institutionalization. So it, 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 the first time a psychiatrist heard me talk about this 30 years ago, they said, decompensating? You're going to help people decompensate? You're going to drive them mad. Yeah. Uh, and I said, no, I'm going to drive them healthy. Uh, mm. uh, be, but that can't be done alone. And that's something so many people, even who are drawn to identities, personhood, they think they can do it on their own. It is all a, a linchpin uh, algorithm in personhood that helps us prepare for life and death is, is that we the wounds that we that were that went into us happened in the dynamical reality of relatedness. Uh, and in our picture, the wounds have to be healed inside the same domain that they were created inside of relatedness. Self-help is impossible in identities personhood um, because the original wounds were at the hands of your parents and your friends, yeah. and your, your, your extended family, your society, your yeah, culture. You know, I probably, you know, I was just going to say if I'd felt that level of insanity alone, it wouldn't have made the difference than it did. And, you know, I probably have. Um, but sharing that with someone, only that proves to the guard at the bank that the coast is clear. Doing yes. it alone, it, it, it doesn't recapitulate the childhood wounding enough to be able to heal it. Beautifully said, and, and to self-reveal from, from my side too, being the author of the framework of this whole uh, uh, assumption and beginning part of the Dharma, uh, I used to when I got when I went crazy with my pain, I would roll. Uh, I would get on the floor and I would roll from one wall to the other and roll back, like I was on fire with pain. Mm. And the only way to put it out was like rolling, like you would mm. put out a fire. I had no one at that time to um, hold space with me. Yeah. But I had I had another uh, um, ability. Uh, another um, I didn't have an unsolar. And for me to be an insolent to, I had divine being because what, what happens is an insolent in the personhood um, a domain can feel felt, feel what they're feeling while they're feeling it and why they're feeling it with the insoler, with the, uh, with the facilitator. 
And that's what re, what 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 all the wound-based parts of us need to finally let go and say, oh, what, what I'm not needed anymore. Yeah. So in that sense, um, I had I could always feel divine being, um, feel what I was feeling while I was feeling it and why I was feeling it, and and reflect that back to me to some degree. Something that I don't, I've never met anyone who could describe their relationship with divinity that, that deeply. So that's the only reason I could survive my crazinesses, even though I came close to suicide twice. Um, uh, I, I, God couldn't even help me in some of this pain. So I just want to put forward that I, I wasn't, I didn't spring up out of, uh, out of a golden <laughs> dust here uh, to deliver a paradigm, an entire new, new paradigm of the human condition. I had to suffer my personhood way through too. And it is only now, I'll be 71 this year, that I'm finally getting to the bottom of the uh, unconscious wounded tree with the help of an, an EBE and solar uh, mm-hmm. myself. So um, in this way, um, I, we're all in solence who get through these kinds of things that Joseph described and what any of us can describe. Uh, there, Joseph is as much an expert on what's out there, sometimes more of an expert than me, <laughs> on what's out there, both the psycho-spiritual stuff like, um, like Waking Down and Diamond Heart and all these things. Uh, uh, um, there's nothing like identity's track uh, of, of emoto soulful healing out and there. Even though, there interestingly, there are more and more people talking about things that e- identity would not attend to and go, mm, yeah, uh, but there's some key ingredients that makes it different. And, you know, the, the importance of emotion, the importance of authenticity, authenticity is very hip, um, right. but identity has a, a really rigorous and high standard for what that is. Uh, and it's uh, relentlessly deconstructive, not just a little bit deconstructive. About it. <laughs> Relent- relentlessly. Yeah. Uh, and we, and there are, they, are, they are talking about it, I think, n- by no small coincidence, because identity is um, radiating out into the planetary collective. Uh, um, uh, and so it's like um, one day soon, um, I think the identity in the next bunch of years will break out it's a beginning way, uh, but um, all these others that these headlines other people are now talking about, we have a 35-year head start on developing yeah. several beta four, actually four beta versions, and that we are through four that we are now finally going to our um, our, our uh, we're done with beta vision beta versions of our personhood algorithms, yeah. um, and so here's where fail fail. Um, Fail once, uh, fail better. Fail better, yeah. Yeah. It, it looks like, really in that spirit, it looks like there's a transition here to the uh, mental body uh, awakening that we're, um, yes. you know, we were talking about, um, you, you've called EB emotional Zen in the past. And yes. mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't think I've ever appreciated that more than this week uh, mm-hmm. because, you know, that. Uh, the, the, the contrast, it looks so similar on, in one way. And, and a Zen person, I imagine, would hear what we're talking about and go, oh, yeah, this is what Zen does. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't. But no. there is an analogy, you know. The, it's Zen-like. Uh, it's, it's Zen-like. Yeah, there's a, a letting go to and a decompensating. And, you know, in Zen, they would say, you know, you need to show the ego mind that it's no longer necessary. Uh, and that results in a different outcome than showing an emotional defense system that's no longer necessary. But the the algorithms are really similar. Yeah. And so let, let's summarize then and move to, say, to sagehood. Um, uh-huh. the, the emotive body, the emotional body is ensouled in personhood. And that's where at the end of that game, that track, that arc, that journey, 
um, the what we started with was two thirds emotionally immature wounds, emo wounds, emotional wounds covered by an, uh, of, of our child inside, children inside, covered over by emotionally immature teenage defenses that had to take over. Uh, um, uh, and, and so two thirds of our protective wounded base and one third of our soulful base that couldn't be covered over. Uh, identities, personhood um, uh, targets the goal, the the the, the soul I, and um, attends to the um, wounded version of the human-based I, both mental and physical, um, and so it helps us prepare for life uh, in its, with its own reward and with death, as we said, with all the changes of identity that we lose in that process. So that's all for the local version, the content of the local way that consciousness works as a person as a person um the, the the second dharma that helps us prepare for death and life is mental that's emotive body and soulment uh sagehood is about mental body um uh, um uh, and soulment. And it's, it reduces it very simply that Zen and Advaita Vedanta and all these Eastern esoteric uh, uh, versions, um, so many of them different uh, Mahayana or Yinihana, Hinayana. Hinayana versions. Vajrayana, which is kind of a Vajra, yes, which is, yeah, which is the, which is the, um, the um, um, Tibetan, uh, Tibetan Buddhism. Right. Um, what 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 we're saying is that all these centuries since the Buddha and a couple of generations before the Buddha in Hinduism was saying that the that the local personal self is an illusion either completely or on its way to learning how to see itself and experience itself as an illusion is a complete um, um, what's the good word? Uh, it's an artifice. It's not true. It's the best that could the East could do up until now, just like in the West, the best they could do to now is the Renaissance and psychology and stuff. Um, but it's woefully incomplete and uh, woefully uh, distortive, and it ultimately it, it hurts the soul. Uh, it starts identity starts with saying the self that Zen and Eastern esotericism is an illusion. Um, uh, that that entire track is um, well. On, on, on days I'm not real proud of myself, I snicker at it. Yeah. Uh, in days that I am proud about myself, I weep over it. Uh, but the self is not an illusion. What What is an illusion in sagehood, which helps us prepare for life and death, is that the mind eye, the, the eye that we have constructed, our local eye that has wounds in it, once we heal the emotive wounds in it, we're ready for mental body and soulment to displace the the uh, uh, king or queen throne in our mental body as the ruler of the being i think therefore i am since descartes uh, 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 filed his um his uh, his picture of things uh is what dr drives the whole world now uh, i think therefore i am uh and that is in the in the mind brain the mind eye that's associated with the brain that is an illusion only relative to the deeper soul eye that allows its existence. And this, of course, is, an, is anathema to uh, all um, uh, Eastern pictures of non-duality that say, no, 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 non-duality is, um, is the essence of everything, including human consciousness. And uh, it's in, in, in identity's picture, we can prove to you that it's not. 
um, uh, and, 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 and this is a beautiful and amazing thing. So what happens is mental body and soulment is about exposing how the mental body I is, is only an ersatz. It's a, it's a, it's a, a king or queen without uh, clothes, the emperor, the unemperor without clothes, that it's an illusion only uh, relative to the deeper soul identity when we're in between lifetimes, and any mystic or shaman will, uh, who's got, who's worth their their table of salt, um, <laughs> will tell you that when we're in spirit form in between lifetimes, we have a mental body. We souls have an inborn mental body. We don't need a physical body to mediate it like we do when we're here in this uh, uh, orientation. Uh, the it's associated with the brain. Um, but our deeper soul eye already has a mental body, and that mental body is deeper and full, more full of wisdom than any mind eye associated with the brain is, because the mind eye is conditionable uh, by our childhoods and the way we're taught, I, th I think, therefore I am. In that sense, um, sagehood track, uh, what it does is help us um, see that our we're, how we are slaves of our mind eye, not that the mind, that the eye of the local eye doesn't exist. It, it the Dharma in sagehood, identity sagehood, simply shows the emperor has no clothes and dethrones it, and it does that through through a whole lot of dynamical subtractions of our attachments and identifications with the mind eye only. But if you've already, we don't start anyone in sagehood, um, mental body and soul until someone has gone at least halfway through um, uh, emotional body and soulment, uh, um, if we can, because if you don't have that basis, it'll be much more difficult to do identity's version of mental body. And yeah, I've experienced some of that firsthand. It's not, uh, it makes uh, the emotive work way harder because yeah. because the defenses use the uh, the throwing the baby they throw the baby out with the bathwater and there becomes a transcendence dynamic where they're um, looking past the mind eye to see essence and they end up throwing if you put emotions uh, mm -hmm. under the uh, subset them under mind then you end up transcending emotions and then you got to go later get back to them which is not easy I, uh, you had to my, do the same, right? <laughs> uh, I, after my uh, non-dual event um, um, uh, 35 years ago or so or something, um, uh, uh, you're, the best metaphor I use, and I've talked about this before, is that um, I was standing naked on a mountaintop. Mm -hmm. uh, and to get back to the personal, especially the personal emotive, um, all the loadings and the, and the wounds, um, I, it felt like I had to come down from the mountain, put on clothes, dig dig a hole in the ground six feet deep, and bury myself in it in personhood. Yeah. It is virtually impossible for an enlightened person to ever get back to their emotive core. Um, they've transcended too much. They've been told by their their um, their tradition that um, it's either an illusion or something that you don't take seriously or get attached to or get um, over identified with its story, whatever the thing yeah. is. Um, so as you say, if you are if you've done a lot of um, Eastern esoteric work, authentic work, not 
not just meditating at the at the local mall or doing yoga. Um, uh, if you not just meditating to feel good. Uh, no, not yeah. not to med- meditate to self empower, which is we've talked about another podcast. Yeah. The tragedy of modern day using meditation to be mindfully uh, self empowering when the whole point of meditation was to deconstruct the mind yeah which they even knew 2500 years ago it's but yes uh, oh it's you know when you when you come along when like i have been over 470 lifetimes here uh you've seen it all you know and and you recognize things so much so easily um you just you can't transcend your way to enlightenment that's a teenage form of enlightenment let's let's say it that way Mm -hmm. only emotive uh, teenagers, which is everyone who's not who's moved through enough lives to become more of a leader or a seeker, a serious seeker. Children aren't serious seekers; they're curious about everything. But you as have to they be should little, be. as they should be. Yeah. Whereas an, a teenager f- learns to focus on what their seeker paths are. Um, anyone who's enlightened is basically beyond uh, emotive authentication. Although I'd love to be proven wrong, I would love. Uh, um, uh, an open and an open-hearted uh, enlightened teacher to one day ask me to help him or her uh, uh, reclaim their um, their emotive bodies uh, and not that they've been sp- busy transcending for 30 40 50 years it would take in order to be felt in that way yeah. and, uh, uh, if I would became an, uh, an, uh, an emotive body and solar for an enlightened person, that would re- they would require another enlightened person sure. to be able to do that. Yeah. No one has ever come yet uh, because they're too. They've been not. They say they become more unconditioned. But when you move from mass consciousness Maya to um, enlightened consciousness uh, Advi- Advaita, let's say um, you uh, you you no longer um, make any priority for the local. And once you do that, um, you you have you burst through seventh chakra opens up and you get whatever version, but you're you're still an emotively fixated teenager, and so all of those at the emotional are, level, at the emotional level, yeah. you're still fixated there, transcending everything and getting enlightened does nothing to the emotive body except empower the defenses. Because now the defenses, it's a very glamorous thing to be um, enlightened. And you, most of them are multimillionaires uh, who are anywhere well, well known on the planet. Um, and so uh, there, it's a crippled form of teenage um, soul uh, evolution, the current form of enlightenment yep. in this world. I'm reminded my Zen coach years ago once said uh, something like, it's like you're, there's too much furniture in a room and it's bolted to the floor and you're suffering because you're trying to move the furniture around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and that's yeah. like the emotional wounding and personal stories and whatnot. So stop trying to move the furniture around and just knock down the walls so you have an airplane hanger and then you'll experience all this freedom and you know, maybe that furniture will go away, maybe it won't, but there'll be so much room it won't matter. Well, my experience was I knocked down those walls and the room got a lot bigger, but the furniture was still there. In more (laughs) subtle ways that was harder to access harder to deal with because now I've got a defensive part that's just like, why are we dealing with this furniture when there's all this space? So I have an unusual perspective because I was part of EBE 1.0 and I didn't have that challenge at all that not maybe not at all, but not much at all. And I didn't, I, I, my, my inner personhood stuff seemed very important to deal with and I wanted to deal with it. 
And then I had an awakening that I don't think was as deep as yours, but it was deep enough that when yeah. I went back to personhood, I'm still dealing with after a year and a half with Brie, there is still uh-huh. occasionally a part that shows up that's like, why don't we just make the room bigger? <laughs> why don't we go back to being a monk? And it's like, and I've got to deal with That's an extra thing to have to deal with. Yes. And that's not easy. Thank God your uh, enlightenment event wasn't more profound. Yeah, I would have never come back. It was my 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 assessment of it. I think we've talked about this yeah. before. Is about two thirds of the way, uh, which is hard enough to try to recover from. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it will, it will make it virtually impossible. But oh, I'd love to be wrong about that. But I've yet to draw uh, any enlightened teacher who realizes that uh, who are starting to suffer over their enlightenment. There's a few. Yeah, uh, you know a couple of you know one of them for yeah. sure, and so do, so do I. I never never met him, but um, oh, I so wish that one day that person we're both thinking of um, finds identity and says, "Wait, what? Wait, what?" Uh, and and go from there. Um, at any rate, uh, and what what is called satori, uh, the satori moment, um, is when the mental body becomes ensouled in a bigger space than as you just mentioned uh than itself and that ends its over identification and over attachments to dualistic content and what the last point here is uh, how it prepares for life and death um not uh, accessing uh the non-dual aspect of divine being in this case uh, zen would say of course the not non-dual is not a part of anything else or else it couldn't be the non-dual right but uh, uh, identity will prove to you, if you'd like to, if you're curious enough to have it proven to you, um, that non-duality is simply the yin womb of divinity, all these centuries and millennia, the yin womb of yin divinity, out of which our original soul I was born. When we lose our local mind eye, we also, what that happens is it gives room for the soul eye to be birthed as a fractal. You literally rebirth the soul eye after non-dual enlightenment, not to expose the mind, the, the eye as an illusion, but to expose the soul eye's integrity and, um, and seat of being. When you, when you mental body and soul, the soul eye now has much more rulership over the mind-based eye. The mind-based eye is simply the little um, the the uh, carrier outer of what the soul eye determines is a good choice path. And so, when you've got the combination now of personhood and sagehood, you've taken care of the emotional body issues uh, in the EBE personhood track. You've taken care of the mental body's false rulership of the being. And now the soul eye is a director of the mind eye. Um, I love my intellect, but um, uh, my soul eye is a pretty strict um, uh, uh, overviewer and ruler of my mental body and, and shows me choice paths that would never, ever, ever have been available to me using my mind eye only. So it prepares us with death because literally when you reboot the non your non-dual few mo- pre-dual moments before you were soul born in divine being. Let me say that again. Worth saying again. Please. That, that the the not the non-dual in identities, uh, mental body and soulment is not trans-dual, it's pre-dual. It is the non-dual 
empty space womb of yin divinity out of which your soul I was born. And so when you when you go through the non-dual eye of the needle, if I can use a bad metaphor, <laughs> you recapitulate your soul eye's birth. And then the soul eye is born, was born originally then, but now it's born in your current version of you. It's recapitulated that way. And that changes everything. And in that way, even though the divine dualistic being, Harry Thunderer in the sky, whether it's Allah or God or Jehovah or whatever, all that nonsense of religion, um, there is a divine being in identity after Satori. And that divine being now has been opened up to you because you've reclaimed your soul eye. So the, the dualistic God is not destroyed in real grown-up enlightenment. It's expanded out of the religious nonsense uh, false gods into the true spirit being. There's our transition to sainthood, of course, but I, I want to make sure we've fully explored the, 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 because the thousand little deaths is originally a Zen uh, idea, I think. And um, the, there's the, the, the personal e emotive madness that, uh, what are we calling it? Um, emotive self, self, emotive self authentication leads you to, Right. What words would you put around the madness that, uh, or you once said, I remember with the three hoods, craziness is personhood, uh, insanity was sagehood, and uh, madness was the word we used yes. for uh, yes. sainthood. Um, yes. So uh, talk about the, the madness of, uh, oh, sorry, the insanity of sagehood. Um, what happens is, uh, we did what we didn't say here is that the personhood track heals the terror of being. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. Being. Good. Yeah. Right. The the men, the mental body and soul man, or the sagehood track heals the terror of not being. In other words, since we're emotive, emotive before anything else, and soulment in all three hoods uh, is an emotive version of it, not a mental or an energetic version. Mm -hmm. And so we heal the terror of not being. The insanity. That happens is in the in the run up to Satori, uh, when 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 the non dual aspect of divine being, you've subtracted enough of your attachments and identifications to allow the non dual to find you. You process your way to that in MBE. You process your way. The the insanity is how how uh, is is for me the. The, the, my, my meditation bench uh, originally was a, 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 a torture device because as soon as I planted myself on it, um, my selfhood was draining out the top of my head and out the bottom of my butt. Um, I, I, I literally, the terror is an insane kind of terror of not being. And that mm. once you've passed a certain point, a certain critical mass point, you can't stop it anymore. Yeah, I and, had several months where I would just be walking around doing errands and stuff. And it was like, uh, I think of um, in that uh, Avengers movie where Thanos snaps his fingers and destroys oh, yeah. half of the population mm -hmm. of uh, the universe. Like this sort of disintegrating, like bits of me felt like they were just sort of disintegrating off of me and disappearing into the ether. And it, like I was remaining, but it felt like I was slowly um, yeah. disapparating or whatever the word, disintegrating. Ooh, disapparating. Yeah. You know, you, you just remind me, Jim Henson, uh, the puppet guy, uh -huh. made a movie back in the 80s um, uh, where there was this thing called The Nothing. 
Oh yes, remember? Oh, uh, that was a uh, was that never ending story? Ever ending story? Yes, the nothing. And and, and and the nothing literally was a blank space that was eating up all the 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 substantive dualistic trees and buildings and ground. I had nightmares of that when I was a kid. <laughs> I think I, th- I don't know if it was before. I never connected it. I don't think it was before or after I saw that movie because I was a kid. But when I would have fevers, when I had the flu, I yeah. would have this terror of a nothing that was invading me by moving further away somehow. And this wow. infinitely nauseating space was just growing and somehow coming to get me at the same time. And exactly. I re-found that when I was doing yes. my Zen phase and oh, faced good. that. Absolutely. Um, it was that's the best metaphor I have for what the insanity it creates. Imagine at the border where the nothing is eating away all dualistic apprehension and dualistic identification as a self. It's literally eating you alive. It's an insane kind of terror of not being. And the 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 denouement of it is Satori, where you literally go a few seconds, or in my case, about 12 minutes. Um, uh, where you don't know you are there. I, I, no, no time passes. There's no you to know that you've you've collapsed into an, a state. And then when, as I woke back up to me, um, I, I ascertained uh, later it was about 12 minutes I was out, but I didn't know I was out, of course. Yeah. And so that was the non-dual, um, uh, uh, me passing through the non-dual t- eye of the needle of yin divinity. And instead of, um, uh, uh, and eventually that leads to a soul eye recapitulation that now takes over the mind eye. And now that soul eye is ready for the last hood. So like with the, it just makes me think in personhood, the terror of being is addressed by feeling and being something that you didn't think you could survive as a child. Yes. Oh, good point. Oh, nice. Risk the destruction of your childhood wounding and discover that it won't kill you. Yes. Whereas sagehood is like um, risking the destruction of your self image, your over attachments, your identification as mind. Yes. And you, you, you lose that. Um, uh, It's a, yeah, the, the um, uh, personhood is about the local wound load and how you relate to it. Uh-huh. This is an existential root yeah. of, of, of the eye, not the downline load in the eye. Uh-huh. And so sagehood goes existential to the very existence of the eye and how we've been malconditioned to yeah. make it our, our master. You used to right? say a uh, wholesale versus retail. Yes. Uh, and, right. But it's a little bit like saying like, well, if we address these problems in the wholesale distribution chain uh-huh. and these wholesale the warehouses and whatnot that will automatically fix the problems in the retail stores and it's like well it'll affect it but actually yeah. not they both are separate no. things yeah you've got to process all that furniture in the retail <laughs> yeah. stores uh, yeah. uh, uh and then you're ready to if you've tackled that you've got much more room in the retail store now let's clean up the source the source of all of our furniture uh, i would say though that for me and i'm sure other people that um the level of awakening that i did um get the level of awakening <laughs> that got me was yes, exactly. i think really <laughs> instrumental in getting me out of my mind because i think in ebe 1.0 i reached some kind of limit where i was too over identified with my mind uh and it yeah, did yeah. serve to do that so you know everything is perfect and all that sure and you know, one last point before we quickly move to sainthood here mm. is, I think 
you had nightmares about the nothing in Jim Henson's movie um, because you've had so many lifetimes uh, where you had non-dual enlighten enlightenment, but because of the kind of soul species you are, uh, the dropping of any kind of God access that you could experience as substantive, real, full of love and universal um, was denied in, in, in uh -huh. old paradigms of, of sagehood enlightenment. And so they leave, they leave traditional sagehood calls personhood an illusion and God a projection, a projection a personal yeah. illusion. So it's a single track. It's only one third of this, of, of our soulful healing. And yet they call themselves the entire array uh, because they think the wholesale takes care of both the, the retail and the local and its projection uh, on uh, of a daddy or mommy in the sky. Uh, the God of, um, of identity is not of daddy or mommy in the sky. And it's not omnipotent, uh, om omnipresent. And um, uh, um, what is the third one? Omnipotent, uh, omnipresent, omniscient. Omniscient, doesn't know everything, doesn't, is not all powerful but it is all present always. Mm -hmm. So that's another whole track now. Now we go to sainthood. So personhood, terror of not being, day, per, personhood, terrors of being, uh, terror of not being in mental body ensoulment, and terrors of non-being are addressed in the sainthood track. Now here's where it gets really interesting and sticky. To do real sainthood is limited by the degree you haven't done personhood and sagehood. I'm working with someone right now, bless her heart, uh, who has done in her world, in her world arc right now, enough personhood where she has asked me to help her in sagehood because she heard, and I've been working with her like a tutor in sagehood. She, she, has, she has Peter principled in sainthood. She's, she's a shaman type. She, she can hear voices. She senses uh, soulful presences, uh, not to the degree she wants to, but she can report that she's capped out. She can't go any further in sainthood. And when she heard that sagehood was the way to un unsealing your sainthood experience, she says, I'm in. Uh -huh. So I've been, I've been tutoring her in sainthood. That's a good motive. Better yes. than uh, wanting to disappear the self, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. or escape yeah. from the rigors of person of the person, which yeah. most people who go to ashrams or go to the um, uh, sage teachers they want to escape personhood. Um, yeah. um, at any yeah. rate, uh, sainthood now now because you've you've created a stable local person, you've now gotten the soul eye more powerful than the mind eye in sagehood. Now you're ready to really experience. The, 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 the most difficult, and that is now you have solified your personal will in personhood and sagehood. And now you have to learn how to, how to share that soulful I will with the will of divinity. That is crazy making, uh, madness, as you That's say. That's the madness one. Yeah. That's the madness is, wait, all that work, and I've still got work to do in, in learning how to share my newly emergent soul eye with the, the will of divine being. Yep. And this can be crazy making or in, uh, madness making in that <laughs> sense, because it's really hugely difficult to discern what is sober spiritual willfulness here mm. in our, our soul, exp our flesh expressed soulfulness 
uh, and what's in, unsober relative to divine beings will. Uh, and so that, that comes very difficult. Oh, how I see. To, so again, personhood, it's uh, healthy self-interest versus unhealthy self-interest. Yes. And then you get enough health, enough healthy self-interest and you start to sort of take that out for a drive. And then you right. realize that that has to be yeah, needs to also include the healthy self-interest of the divine itself. Yes. And in sainthood, the divine being has a healthy self, has, has a much better <laughs> healthy self-interest. Uh, yeah. And the, and the headline for sainthood is, is, is that um, in all the madness that happens with the headline is, it's divine being's life, not ours, but it's divine. It's eternal gift to us is that we get to live it. Uh -huh. That's that's the mantra uh, basis principle of sainthood. I'll say it again. Uh, it's divine being's life at root, but it's eternal gift to us is that we get to live it. Now, if we want to live it to our maximum soulful sobriety, we need to incorporate someone smarter than us uh, to uh, adjudicate what's sober um, uh, 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 willfulness versus what's uh, uh, locally here uh, and what's uh, spiritually uh, uh, soulful sobriety of will. Wow. I just, um, I'm just, just sort of flashing on like I've done enough of identity work to uh try to swallow like how much you have to get out of the way to be able to embody that you can't be projecting mother father stuff onto the divine anymore and that takes no. years yes. and and even if you've done that you have to be able to um to detach from your own local identity enough be unattached to your own identity enough um uh sage -wise. To to, sage wise yeah thank you yeah. in order to let this let sainthood in because without becoming without all that airplane hangar amount of space there's yes. no room for how big the divine is no chance uh yeah all the oxygen in that airplane hangar now um you realize if you open the door all the air outside the hangar is way bigger than the air inside your own the now bigger expanse of your personal hangar you know uh, yeah, so you realize divine... you were renting that hanger from the divine. <laughs> you didn't own that's, it. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, so the God of divine being, uh, there's a yin aspect to it and a yang aspect to it. We're currently, since 2012, of course, ruled by the yin aspect of divine being, where the yang aspect prior to 2012, from the inception of uh, the ape line uh, with uh, angel consciousness all the way forward, has all been about willful manifestation. And since 2012, the yin divine has now taken over ages of, uh, of the planet. And so it's not about willful manifestation anymore. It's about uh, surrendered capitulation uh, to include the will of the divine inside your now newly attained soul eye capacity from sagehood. So uh, adjudicating those uh, willful, uh, the willful sobriety of your already soulful eye. It's like we used to use it. Remember the, uh, meta, the metaphor? You build a Maserati. You, you start with a, a, a clunk or lemon in um, in personhood, and you turn it into a Maserati uh, uh, in personhood. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, 
and then you drive that Maserati into the lake altogether uh, in sagehood because you sink it to the bottom of the lake of non-duality. Mm-hmm. And then sainthood, as you come out the other side, sans the car anymore. There's no mind eye substantive. You're a soul eye naked. And now you come out of that lake and go, okay, what? It, what why am I now? I figured out who I was in personhood, what I was and wasn't. Uh, yeah. in sagehood and now why am i and now you have to be to really get that answer you've got to be naked uh walking through the wilderness uh, of nature in a good metaphor here and so keeping the metaphor uh in the same level and uh-huh. so there you're asking show me the way uh divine yin show me the way to maximize uh, your will's inclusion into my will in religion it's always the will of god the will of the person is stiff-necked resistance. Uh, that's the realm of the devil. We say in identity, nope, uh, the personal, once it's been cleansed of personhood and sagehood t- terrors, of existential terrors, you're ready to actually learn how to share your personal soul will with the will of divine being. And that's no small task. And how does that prepare us for death slash life? (laughs) Uh, That's the easiest one of all. Uh, Uh, One stage of uh, about the mid stage of sainthood work, you start um, being able to sense that um, the afterlife is not heaven or hell, uh, that the afterlife in between lifetimes is real where you, as we said in the clubhouse recently, when you pass, you you remember, you start to remember what the what your um, past, your in between life like is like, and once you remember, um, I, I remember past lives and what's like in between lifetimes, like I remember college and university. Um, uh, these are real um, domains and not made up projections. And so once you start remembering what it's like to be in between lifetimes and the choices you make there. To prepare yourself for your next incarnation, death becomes just another an open door, like like the great teachers have told us over the centuries. It's not a, it's not an end; it's an open door. Um, we survive death as our soul eye no longer when our when our body mind eye version of ourselves physically deteriorates and we leave it behind. The soul eye uh, uh, travels home to its home dimension of soul species. Uh, for all of us. And that's our heaven, different for every soul species, uh, different characteristics. What there is, there is, so there is heaven. Where the climate how- suits your clothes, your soul oh, clothes. <laughs> oh, nice metaphor. Yeah. But there, there's no hell. Um, what there is, though, is your debrief. Uh, <laughs> and that can be difficult. Yeah. That And that's what we call hell uh, here when we don't understand what's going on. Um, it's not just one life. Can you imagine if we had only one life to learn everything there is to know about consciousness. I mean, it's a joke, right? Yeah. It's like sometimes I think people still smoke. And <laughs> people still believe in daddy God. I mean, I, I, I can't quite, I mean, I, I know they do both in both those domains, but sucking on a little cylinder that's shaped like a nipple um, uh, into your lungs, uh, uh, um, knowledgingly and knowingly, uh, against your sweet pink lungs in your air, um, I can't, I can't rock it. And 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 and, and genuflecting before a false daddy god that that is patriarchal and jealous and angry. I mean, give me yeah. a break. So you remember all the stuff that when you close your eyes in death on all these people who have have um, near death experiences say the same thing basically. 
all it is is love. It's it, it, you think something in your soul, mental body, and you're there. Um, all this is true. It's all real. It's not fake. It's not new age crap. Um, they don't know what to do with it in a new age, but um, they don't know how to get to it. Uh, but they can structuralize it pretty accurately. Um, but once you remember what it's like, what what is there to fear to death? Uh, there's nothing to fear anymore about physical death. And finally, you get the keys to human life when you ensoul in um, when you have um, willful body ensoulment, WBE in sainthood. When you adjudicate your soulful human eye will with the with divine beings will um you you now heal the terror of will or the terror of non-being sharing your will willful body and ensoulment when you when you're there and uh the death you certainly don't want to suffer you don't want to have a slow decades long deterioration where you lose your mind or you have disease in your body well, i'm still i'm still uh, fearful of 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 that kind of uh, deterioration but you, what you are not afraid of you're afraid of sickness and and, and pain uh, to some degree but not much anymore but still even with sainthood uh, you you're no longer afraid of death itself mm-hmm. in fact you welcome it like okay i put in my time here I, I signed up for 93 years. Um, that's never a guarantee. Um, so I've got 20, couple, 22 dozen years left, not quite two dozen years left. Um, uh, maybe that'll be true. Maybe it isn't. But I have no fear of death whatsoever because I know what it's like. I remember yeah. like high school and, and college, what, 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 what happens there? So that's the ultimate um, uh, 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 healing or addressment of death is, is sainthood. But all three in their own ways prepare us uh, to better face death and of course better live life and it's fascinating to it's to observe how much fear of death there is in the world oh, and man. i've never had any fear of death um that i could discern of course i've found pieces of it you know but i mean just like the casual sort of way people are afraid of dying or or really get upset when someone else dies it's always just seemed like a very natural thing and in our society, you know, it's life is good and death is bad, which of course makes absolutely no sense because they're two sides of the same coin. Um, yes, and, consciousness doesn't die. Yeah, uh, and all the all the look at all all the medical over the whole planet that's terrified of death, um, and will do anything, no ma- whether it's ethical or non-ethical, to keep the person breathing. Uh, I have a story of a, a woman of a person, yeah, a woman, who. Um, who uh, got hypnotized to be able to stop smoking. Uh-huh. It worked so well, she, she stopped working, she stopped smoking. Mm-hmm. But what it did is it, when she stopped smoking, all the anxiety oh, that no. is repressed by the nicotine and, and, the, and all the chemicals in, in, um, in cigarette smoke uh, came full, full bore anxiety and when she had to stuff, that person had to stuff the anxiety, uh, a cancer grew uh, uh, from all Whoa. the stuff, uh, stuffed anxiety. And she died a very painful death, a very long, a longer term, horrible death um, when she stopped smoking so she wouldn't die of lung cancer. Oh, man. Um, but the repression of the anxiety, which she now had to do because she didn't have the cigarette to press it down for her. So the hypnotist probably went home and said, wow, I really changed that person's life. Yeah, 
and you also handed to her because you don't didn't know a thing hypnotists don't know a thing about the emotional body's requirements yeah. you just caused her to be have a much more painful long-term death than a, than than likely or equal to a lung cancer death mm. um, so uh, the whole picture of medicine and intervention is based on the terror of death mm. keep them alive no matter what and we would say not a chance in identity yeah so basically, we just, in less than a whole podcast, uh, unpacked <laughs> the dharmas in the most superficial way of all three hoods in, um, in uh, identity. And all three hoods, everything else has been invented by humans in terms of paradigms fit somewhere in one of those three meta dharmas uh, of healing for the human condition. And right. I hope one day that uh, after I'm long gone, uh um that the that the planet at least the seeds are planted this lifetime and um i people say well what are you going to do when you come back in your next life and I said, <laughs> I said are you kidding i'm going to be able to sit under a tree whose seeds i planted and it's going to be great i'm going to take i'm i'm taking a break three four hundred years for this to catch hold afterward i hope uh and then be born to emotively mature parents uh, that would be something you have definitely earned um, I, I think so, and I can humbly say that, mm -hmm. that that's what my goal was. I wanted to get identity mm -hmm. out there enough in this world and this lifetime as stays barren so that three or 400 years from now, I can be born to emotively mature parents. You mean you're not trying to get off of the wheel of samsara and never come back to this awful place again? <laughs> Another... I'll, I can say it. I'm, I'm a little tired, so I can say it. another bullshit premise uh, <laughs> of enlightenment. Uh, you don't you the love and the care and the greater divinity. You you keep coming back because you want to serve self and serve others healthily and soberly, spiritually. Uh, no matter how many layers we peel the onion, we're never done. Uh, we just get to new coartations of sobriety, and then we find oh, there's a sliver, and just like the pea under the mattress. You're going to spend yeah. a whole lifetime working on one P maybe in my next lifetime, you see? Yeah, but I can so, see how, like, I can imagine that there are certain things, of course, that we have to work and can only work by having parents who didn't give us enough. But right. I imagine there are soul issues that also can only be worked when we have parents that do give us enough, maybe yes. not perfect, but largely enough. That would bring up a whole different set of issues, I would imagine. Oh, nicely put. So we're never done. So yeah. of course we're going to keep coming back, either as a, um, a baker or incubator of our own soulful uh, unfoldment, or to help others in the soulful unfoldment of their souls. Mm. So um, sorry, uh, when passion becomes compassion. Oh, by the way, if you do all three in one life, oh, I got a good thing I remember this. Yes. If you do personhood, sagehood, and sainthood in one life, um, I, I give a little bow to Advaita Vedanta here, where. Their um, whole principle is based that uh, Atman is Brahman um, in the end. And uh, what we call, what I call now, the state of, 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 of ensouling and personhood, sagehood, and sainthood all in one life is I call Atma Brahmesh. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that, that's the, the esoteric term. And the uh, eso, um, exoteric term is enheartenment, not enlightenment. Uh, so um, that's what happens. And that's the goal. One day, one life to do all three hoods in one lifetime. And it's not all you, you do 
40% of it in all three, then next lifetime you do 50% of, of all three. And then the next one, maybe you do 90%. It gets, you get, you get a little break. Uh, it takes shorter amounts of time in between uh, once you get the hang of the three hoods, uh, the three installments. So, oh, that was a lot. It's yeah. a long podcast. Uh, I'm as exhausted as I can see Joseph is also. So, uh, <laughs> yes. That was great. That's all I, I've got. Buddy. I'm as that's inspired as I am tired. It was really good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, You're so welcome. And I just want to say we made a couple of uh, mentions of soul species. Uh, we just did, I think I brought it up uh, last time, but we just did a clubhouse thing in Eric's uh, clubhouse. Uh, uh, of two hours about soul species. You can find that if you look for the holy human with a WH, uh, mm-hmm. holy human something. I don't know. Clubhouse is holy human. Holy human, yeah. what? But the holy human house or something? Club, yeah, club. No, it's a holy it, human club. Yes. Yeah, uh, or search thing. for Eric Grace uh, or search for identity on Clubhouse. But uh, yeah, and there's some events on that that I mentioned, uh, will mention in the intro to this. So um, check it out. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Stace. Any last thoughts before we go? Sorry? Any last thoughts before we go? Looked like you had some. Um, yeah. I've. I'd like to shout, have a, I, I'm, I'm dating myself here in the 90s, but I'd like to have a shout out for uh, uh, someone named Nick uh, mm-hmm. out there in listening land. Nick, um, you're an inspiration uh, in your both your existential hunger and your personal fortitude and wanting to heal. And I'm so glad that uh, you found identity and that can serve a soul like you. And I just want to acknowledge that uh, how proud I am of you, of um, how far you've come. Yeah, I second that. Thank you, Stace. Okay. Thank you all for listening. Tune in next time. I don't know what we're talking about, but it'll be interesting. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> it usually is. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. Bye. Thanks now. again, Joseph. Thank You're you. You're so welcome. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.